0: Good evening, glad you're here. We're going to get started. I'm going to start off with a word of prayer tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for uh, this week. We're thankful for uh, your faithfulness as we walk through it. We're thankful for uh, all of the many blessings we have from you and in you. We're thankful for uh, your word that, that we're going to get the opportunity to study tonight. We praise you uh, for, for being gracious and preserving and giving that. Uh, to us. I, I pray, Lord, on this night for your church, uh, that you would bless it, that you would lead it. Uh, I pray that we'd be wise and we'd we'd search you out and seek you, and I pray that you're able uh, to move and to work and to be known through the ministry of your church. I pray for tonight, a teaching night. I pray uh, for our kids' classes that are, that are studying and learning tonight. I pray for our youth class as well. I pray for our other adult classes, I pray the exact same thing, that uh, your, your truth would be the, the foundation of what we would do, that we would build on that, uh, that we would be built up in that, that we'd be prepared, uh, and that, that you'd be pleased in the, in the entire process. Lord, again, I pray that you'd speak and, and, and bless us and lead us and let us be a blessing to you in the study of your word. And I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we are on our 60-second lesson uh, moving through the grand scheme of things, uh, we started all the way back in the book of Genesis. We're going all the way to the book of Revelation, and we're really seeing the central theme of all scripture is our Savior Jesus Christ and the salvation that, that He provides. In a weird turn of events, we're going to look at the Christmas account uh, tonight in August. I thought about that. Uh, maybe we have a different eye or a different perspective when we look at it at this time of the year, separate from the things that uh, that are normally attached to it. I think for sure it's different uh, looking at Christmas, the Christmas account when it's 105 degrees outside. Uh, but but for sure we're going to get to see it from a different lens. Uh, our key verses tonight are found in Luke chapter two, verses one through twenty. Uh, it's the account of his actual birth, the day of his actual birth. Uh, very familiar verses to most of us. Uh, we're going to talk about those verses. I'm going to read those verses, and then we're going to pull. Uh, some things out of those. So, again, our key verses tonight are found in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Our key point from your worksheet, if you're following along on our worksheet, says, The day of Jesus' birth was both an astonishing and miraculous day. And so, both of those words, astonishing and miraculous, the events of this day help us remember exactly who Jesus is. And why he came. And that's a pretty interesting thing that both of those things are established that early on in his ministry. Just from the day of his birth, uh, we're gonna be able to see who he is and we're gonna be able to be confirmed in the truth of why he came. And so it is a big day, uh, a lot of truth revealed just in the events of that day. On our worksheet, the first section is uh, the normal day of a miraculous birth. Now, to start off, I'm gonna go ahead and read the uh, account. Uh, in its entirety, and that will really set us up for uh, what we're going to look at, and then we'll come back and pull the verses out of it. So uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read to verse 20, uh, the account of Jesus' birth. It says this, Now in, the day, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son." And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out of the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Again, that's the entire account. We're going to look at the the sections as we break it up uh, moving forward. The first section, the normal day of a miraculous birth. I think that's an interesting perspective, uh, the normal day of a miraculous verse. Let me look at the first three verses again. Now, in those days, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Verse two, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Verse three, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. All right, as the account starts off, it's important to see as we, as we begin to look at it, uh, life is going on. And I think that's the thing. Uh, we see the bigness of what's happening. We understand Uh, the hugeness of this account. And so maybe we miss uh, that life is going on. These are actual days. These are actual places. These are actual people doing actual things. There is a government and it is taking a census. It is setting itself up to collect taxes. Uh, There are people and they're trying to please the government. They're trying to get by and do the things that they need to do to get along. all of these are just normal events. Time is moving on, uh, the Roman Empire is established, these things are taking place, and, and, and these things are just moving on. In the middle of those normal events, uh, we're gonna see this supernatural event, this, this really uh, great occurrence, probably the greatest occurrence for sure, uh, besides the resurrection in all of history. Uh, I want you to notice thing before we move off of this section, Notice how the biblical record, and Luke is the author here, is deliberate in anchoring these things, uh, these happenings, these events, uh, with actual verifiable places and points in history. Um, Caesar Augustus, there's an anchor. Um, Quirinius was governor. Syria, there's an anchor. Uh, he's on his way uh, to, we're going to see there, he's on his way uh, to, to Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. All of these things, actual places, uh, actual things that we can say, hey, we know where Judea's at. Hey, we know where Bethlehem's at. Hey, we know why it's the city of David. Hey, we know the time of the Roman Empire. So all of these things are anchored uh, to verifiable points and places in history. Now you might say, well, why did Luke uh, take such, such uh really an interest in putting these things out. Well, the truth is this, uh, we need to understand, and the gospel writer wanted us to understand, these are real events. This really happened. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a superstition. There was a point when there was actually a a time they had to go and register uh, for the census. And so, uh, these things are actually given to us, and notice with great detail that we would understand. Actual event, actual time, Uh, Actual things that took place. Now that's the basis for for the start of our context. Verses 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. Verse 5, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Uh, notice again in these verses uh, the listing of actual places uh, and actual normal events. Uh, when you see that, I think it's important just seeing that, um, how much of that is tied to biblical prophecy. And so here's all the prophecy concerning the Messiah from the Old Testament, and it says, uh, went to, came out of Nazareth, came out of Galilee, went to Bethlehem, the line of David, all of these things, Are answers to Old Testament prophecy. Let me give you a couple examples here. The Messiah would come from Galilee. That's from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. That is written 700 years before the birth of Christ. The Messiah is going to come from Galilee. Uh, Hold on a minute, that's that's just one thing. I thought he was going to come from Bethlehem, I thought he was going to come out of Egypt. Uh, All these things, but that's just one of them. The Messiah would come from Galilee. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says that. That is written 700 years also before uh, the birth of Christ. The Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Now I think, well, we understand that. That seems like a pretty easy thing to understand. Now what if I were to ask you right now, where is your great-great-grandson going to be born? What city is your great-great, now we're, we're up to about seven uh, at least, maybe up to 14 uh, greats for here, but uh, if I were to ask you, where's your great-great-grandson going to be born? And you have to write it on a piece of paper, and then the odds of that actually uh, coming to pass, that's where they were born. That's a crazy thing. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, written 700 years earlier. Another one, the Messiah to be a descendant of King David, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, other places as well, that is written 600 years before the birth of Christ. So it's giving us normal places, but also those things are not normal at all, foretold 700 years earlier, foretold 600 years earlier. All right, I want you to think about that for a second. What are the odds that the birth of Jesus would fulfill these prophecies? Now, that's just three of them right there. Now, that's just three of the prophecies. There are, and there's several folks that have tried to count it, uh, there are over 300 Old Testament prophecies telling us about the Messiah, telling us about the Christ. Uh, I, I saw one that tried to get very specific, and they said there are 324 Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus, uh, the Messiah, the Christ. Um, there's a statistician, and they, they figured out to what degree uh, the probability would be of someone answering or fulfilling all those prophecies. Here's what it says. Now, I, this is staggering to me. For one person to perfectly fulfill eight of those prophecies, um, come from Galilee, come from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, uh, line of David, for one person to fulfill eight of those um, has the same likelihood, now listen to this, of covering the state of Texas, the entire state, two two foot deep in silver dollars. So the whole state of Texas, every part of it, all the way down to Houston, all the way to El Paso, uh, up to the Panhandle, two feet deep in silver dollars, marking an X on one of the silver dollars, taking a single person, blindfolding them, setting them loose, and that person picking up the one with the X on the first try. That's the same probability of one person fulfilling eight of the prophecies, and we know Jesus perfectly fulfills 324 uh, prophecies. Staggering, staggering. What are the odds that Jesus' birth would fulfill these prophecies? All right, let's go to verses six and seven. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I want you to think about just the, if you were to hear somebody tell you what happened that day. Here's what happened that day. Some travelers in town for the census have had a baby, and that's the news. There were some travelers. There was a lot of folks in town. Uh, Some travelers that were in town for the census have had a baby, uh, it was just a normal event. It was just another normal day. Uh, the Bible even tells us the suddenness of this uh, meant that Jesus' parents had to make uh, quick arrangements. And so the, they had no place to stay, so they had to find a shelter to stay. They had no place to put the baby, and so he's, he's laid in a manger, a feed trough. And so the events happen. Uh, it's a normal day. They're there to take care of the census. While there, she gives birth, it is so sudden, uh, there's not a place to stay and there's not a place to lay the baby. And so he ends up in um, a, a makeshift crib. Now, I think sometimes we, we lose uh, the wonder of that event. Now, I want you to think about that. There is a Christ that has been promised. There is a Savior that is needed. God has promised the coming of this Savior. Uh, he's gonna have a name, Jesus that the Bible says is gonna be above every name. His name's gonna be above every other name. And yet, he's born in a place where there's not room for him. He's put in a, in a place that's not suitable for, for a normal birth. Uh, it is a very ordinary situation. So, here we are, ordinary things going on, ordinary day, ordinary birth, uh, so, so caught off guard, we're, we're, there's not a place for us. We didn't prepare that far ahead And yet, Jesus uh, comes in this ordinary manner. Now, that's a pretty interesting thing, maybe a pretty heavy thing to think about. What do you think it shows that Jesus comes in such an ordinary manner? And I start thinking about that. Um, I think it shows humility. And and that's the Bible tells us that he comes in humility. He has to come in humility to come who he is to do what he's going to do. I think there's a commonness in that. We're going to see it in, my, in a moment. Uh, he's for all the people. And, and, and I think what if, what if the opposite were true? What if he were born in a palace? And what if you couldn't get near the palace? And there were guards everywhere and there were flags and horns and a marching band and an army surrounding the place. What if the opposite were true? He was born in great fanfare and acclaim. I think you'd easily say, well, that, that's not my king, that's the rich people's king. That's not my king, that's those folks. Or, or maybe the Jews would have believed more easily. Hey, that's our, that's our king. But they would have thought he was a political king. He is gonna be a military leader, a political leader. I think it shows a very um, humble, common uh, tie to people in the way that he comes. All right, that's the first section. second one is this. It's an ordinary day. That's the first deal. An ordinary event. Um, Nothing nothing too crazy so far, but everything changes, and that's told to us in a marvelous message, uh, a marvelous message. It is an ordinary day, but that ordinary day very quickly changes, and that is made clear in the announcement that's brought by the angels. The profoundness of this message is staggering. Now think about it. I've preached on this verse a couple of different Christmases. I've preached on these verses actually one Easter, and there's still a whole lot to see in just this announcement. So the unordinariness of this day is very clear in this message. All right, let's look at verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock By night, in the same region, that's Bethlehem. Uh, That would have been very close to Jerusalem. Uh, In that area, close to to Jerusalem, by Bethlehem, there is an angel, and he makes a nighttime visit uh, to some shepherds. Uh, The fact that it is to shepherds, uh, we're going to look about at that a little bit later. But that is that is a significant thing. Uh, That is a very interesting thing. But I think most interesting to that fact is what those shepherds were most likely doing those shepherds most likely were taking care of the sheep that were used for the sacrifices at the temple they're close to jerusalem there's sacrifices going on in great number at the temple they're taking care of the sheep that would provide the sheep the lambs for the sacrifices at the temple and so i think that is a very profound thing the lamb of god jesus his birth is announced to those that are providing the lambs uh, at the temple, which are gonna point to the coming uh, of of our perfect lamb, Jesus. I think it's a very profound thing. All right, verse nine. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. I think the same thing, uh, that becomes very common uh, to us when we hear it, um, an angel of the Lord suddenly stands. You know what? That's not common. That doesn't happen. They weren't expecting that. They weren't looking for that. And it, it says they were, They were. Uh, the, the actual translation is terribly frightened. They were terrified, fearing with fear. And so I think that's a new level. You're fearing with fear. They are terrified. They're, they're rattled to their core. And so here they are. Taking care of the sheep, the angel of the Lord comes, the glory of the Lord shines around them, and they are rattled to their core. They, they don't know what to do, what to expect. Verse 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ The Lord. All right, just in that announcement, here they are. Angel Lord comes, he makes this announcement. Think about the questions Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus come? What is the gospel? People talk about that all day long right now. What is the gospel? Um, All of those questions are very quickly answered in the announcement from the angel. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? Uh, What are we supposed to do with him? What is the gospel? All of those questions are very quickly answered uh, in this announcement. In verse 10, it says uh, this message, this good news, um, first off, is going to result in great joy. Uh, When I read that, I I think I have to sometimes remind myself, and we have to remind each other, the gospel is good news, and that's, that's just the basic level of it. The gospel is good news. It is good news. Is it scary to tell people? Is it intimidating? Is, is it confrontational? No, the gospel is always good news. We need, to, we need to embrace that. We need to understand that. What is the gospel? Is it, oh, it's I've got a burden to go carry. It's a tough thing. No, the gospel is always good news. There is a savior. There's the forgiveness of sin. God's word is held true. The gospel is always good news. Also, I like to note here in verse 10, that the good news does not discriminate. It says, which is for all the people, which is for all the people. I've started saying this the last five years. If the gospel is not good news for all people, it's not the gospel, because the gospel is good news. By definition, it is the good news. And so if I say, hey, there's there's a gospel, there's a savior that came for you, but he didn't come for you, guess what? It's not the gospel because it's not good news for that person. It is good news for all people. All right, so great, profound things being revealed. Here, Verse 11 starts to tell us then who the one who is born truly is. And so it's good news. It results in great joy. It is for all the people. And then here is who the one who is born truly is. First, Jesus is the Savior. Verse 11. Jesus is the Savior. That refers to his being the remedy from God for sin. What does the Savior do? He saves us from sin. We saw that this past Sunday. Jesus is the Savior. Remember back when the angel came to Joseph. He said he's going to save his people from their sin. And so the one that's born, the one that's been announced, he is the Savior. Second thing, Jesus is the Christ. Verse 11 again. Jesus is the Christ. This refers to his being the Messiah, the anointed one that's promised by God. They were looking for the Christ. They were looking for the Messiah. This one born is that one. Oh, that God would rend the heavens and send down his Savior. He is His Savior. He is the Christ. So uh, he is the Savior, yes. He is the Christ, yes. Then it says this, he is the Lord. So from this announcement, we see Jesus is the Lord. Now, it's interesting, Uh, Lord means ruler. Uh, Lord means we submit to him. We call Jesus as Lord, understanding who he is. But in their quick understanding, Lord was really synonymous with God. And so this refers not to just his being the Savior, sent from God, not just being the Messiah promised by God, he is also God himself. And so the one who's born, he is The Christ, he is the Savior, and he is God himself. Now, think about that. In two verses, it is good news. It it makes us well up with joy, and it is for all the people. The second verse, he is the Savior, he is the Christ, he is God himself. Uh, It becomes quickly very clear this is an unordinary day and an unordinary birth. The Savior, Christ the Lord, has come in the baby who was born. Chapter two, verses 12 through 14. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God on the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. All right, this scene ends with two things, first off is an invitation to go and find the baby. Here's what he's gonna be dressed as, here's how you're gonna recognize him. That's an invitation to go see the baby. And then the second part is there is an outbreak of angelic worship on earth. A whole multitude, a whole host breaks into praise and worship there in this scene. All right, so that's the end of of the first scene. The, The angel comes, makes the announcement, Uh, and then then invites them to go see the baby, and then angelic worship breaks out on earth. All right, the first worshipers, the first worshipers, go into chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, listen to this, let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, so they came in a hurry. Let us go straight there, they say. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. They didn't waste any time. Their intent was to get straight there. They hurriedly go and they go straight there and they found the baby just as it was told to them. I want you to think about that scene for just a second. Here they are, uh, outside of Jerusalem, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. Here they are with their sheep. The angel of the Lord appears, gives them the message. A host of heaven, a host of angels, show up and, and praise the Lord. And then they're gone. And I, and I was trying to picture that scene. Imagine the moments after the angel goes back to, to wherever he came from. Do they sit there in silence? Do they rub their eyes? Do they do they look around at each other? Are they do they talk? Are they are, what do they do? The, it's quiet, the angel's gone, they're singing. Angels gone, and now there they are. Imagine them as they hurriedly make their way there. And so now they're they're hooking it. And I don't know if they're jogging, if they're running, maybe they're sprinting. Now, do they run off and leave some of them? Do they all, do they, or, or as they go, are they saying, um, over here, let's go? What are they thinking on the way? And then when they get there, and the angel said, it'll be just like this, and they get there, and it's just like that. Are they staggered? Do they fall on the ground? Do they, do they pull back? Do they cheer? Do they cry? It's exactly as was promised to them. Verses 17 through 19. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. What they had heard, the announcement in verse 11, they tell them. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Notice Verse 18, it says, all who heard. I think I've read that over so many times that I really hadn't slowed down enough to catch it. All who heard. Hold on a minute. Mary and Joseph and the baby. But it says, but all, they told what they had heard, but all who had heard. It says, wondered at what was being told them. Evidently from that language, the shepherds were telling more than a few the amazing account of their night. And so I don't know if they're telling the folks on the way in. I don't know if they're telling them on the way out. I don't know if there's some other folks that have staggered in to see. I don't know if Joseph had relatives that said, what in the world's going on out here? But evidently, they're telling everybody uh, the the message that God had told them. Here's the the thing about that. Good news always begs you to tell somebody else. And I don't care. what Tonight, if I told you, uh, here's $100,000. If I told you you just want a brand new car, if I if I told you, hey, you just got your dream job, I promise you you'd call somebody and say, you're not going to believe what happened. You're not going to believe the car that I now have. You're not going to believe the job or this good this good thing that has happened to me. Good news always begs to be told. And so here they go. It's just as God said it's going to be. And they're telling everybody, this is our Savior. He's Christ the Lord. That's what God said. And they're actually reporting that to everybody They can tell the shepherds could not keep for themselves uh, good news of this magnitude. There's another word there that says, uh, Mary is pondering those things. The word for pondering in the original language means bringing together. And so I think about that. An angel has told her what's gonna happen. She knows the miraculousness of what has happened. She knows that, but now she's starting to say, Remember when the angel said that. And now the shepherds have said this. And here we are in this city uh, where, where they said the Messiah was going to be born. And she starts putting the things together, pondering the things, piecing all the things together that had taken place. Um, of all people, she had to know. But isn't it awesome that she's starting to say, look how that adds up, and look how that adds up, and look how that adds up. She starts putting the pieces together. All right, the last verse, verse 20. Verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. Now I think about that and then I start to think it's really an interesting thing to think about what became of those shepherds. And we we do not know what became of them. We don't know what happens to them from here. But it says the last thing we know of them, they are glorifying and praising God. These shepherds, common people, probably excluded by most, probably not of high esteem to many, are the first worshipers of Jesus on earth. That's pretty profound. The very first people to worship Jesus on earth are these shepherds. But here's what I wonder. I wonder what became of them. Um, How long did they tell people about that story? I can bet you the next week they told everybody they saw. I bet you the next month. And people are probably going, these guys are crazy. It's all they ever talk about. I bet you six months later, they're still telling folks about everything they saw. How long does that last? Does it slow down? If you ran into them two years later, are they still telling you that story the first time they run into you? Or have they gotten pulled back into the things of the world? We've got bills to pay, and we got a job to do. And oh yeah, you know this one time this happened, but maybe it's not on the, their forefront of their, of their mind anymore. Um, were they excited evangelists for all their days? Or do they somehow taper off being pulled back into ordinary things? Now think about that. Here are these guys, and they, they're outside taking care of the sheep that are going to Uh, to the temple to be sacrificed. What about years later when folks start to say, there's a guy here that doesn't teach like other people, and there's a guy that's healing folks, and I saw him, it was my cousin's friend, or it was my family member, and they start talking about a miracle worker. What what about when they hear again that they say, this guy's the Messiah? Do they say, yeah, I was there when he was born? Uh, does it does it make them re-excited again? Maybe they never lo- lost their excitement. And then I, I thought about this. I wonder where they were at when a crowd gathers up to say, "Crucify him, crucify him." Are they still back out in the middle of nowhere, going, "Oh no, I remember when he was born," or have they melted into the crowd and say, "This isn't the king we thought, not the king we wanted"? Are they part of that? Are their kids part of the crowd that yells, "Crucify him"? Here's the question, and those things are all just speculations, but here's a question for us tonight. If you meet Jesus, and I'm talking about you, if you understand who he is, if you understand what he's done for you, if you understand what we have in him, can your worship ever wane? And I start to think about that. Well, I think I hold those shepherds to a higher standard and go, surely it never did. But what about us? What about after two years? Are you still talking about Christ to your friends and neighbors? Are you still excited about your Savior? What about five years later? Are you growing in that or, or has it waned? I, 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 I wonder how many times it becomes just commonplace to us, maybe old hat to us, and our, and our worship tapers off. And then I ask the question, how can that be? And maybe it's distraction. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's being familiar with the story. Um, How could that ever be? Well, I want to tell you, it happens. It happens. Uh, We we get busy. We get our eyes on other things. We get distracted. And for some crazy, sad reason, we're less impressed with Christ than maybe we once were. And then the, the question then becomes, well, what is the answer for that? What is the remedy for that? And I'll tell you this, the remedy is just to remember who Christ is. And I I think we're dumb, and I'm dumb, and we're forgetful, and I'm forgetful. And we need to constantly say we have a Savior, we have a King, we have a miraculously born uh, baby who took our sin, never sinned, took our sin to the cross, paid for it there. We have a a Christ, a, a Savior, the Lord himself, and we need to remind ourselves very frequently of who Christ is. I think we'd be a lot less discouraged. I think we'd be a lot less depressed. I think we'd be a lot less distracted if we frequently reminded ourselves who Christ is. On the back of your sheet, there's kind of a side note, and it just kind of goes along with the lesson. It's not the lesson, um, but it's something that I I hear people talking about um, more and more in our age. And I hear folks take a hard stance over here and I hear folks take a hard stance over here. And if you're on this side, they make you feel bad about that. And if you're on that side, they make you feel bad about that side. So I thought we would just talk about it and think about it. Here's the question. Should believers celebrate Christmas? Should believers celebrate Christmas? Uh, there's an under-question, isn't it a pagan holiday? Some say, well, it came from a fall festival, a pagan something or another, and we've just taken it and, and, and co-opted it and made it into our celebration. Should we, as believers, celebrate Christmas? Let me give you a couple of sides. First thing is this. Jesus was probably not born on December 25th. I know that's probably heartbreaking for a lot of folks. Uh, he's probably not born on December 25th. Um, There's folks that guess at when he's born, but we're not sure of the date of his birth. And so when we say December 25th, that's the date of his birth, most likely that's not going to match up. That's not going to be true. But maybe we shouldn't celebrate on that day. Um, Here's another point. The holidays become an act of greed, materialism, and excess. For sure it has. Uh, Companies actually plan to make so much profit during this celebration their year depends on it. If you have a chance, look up the meaning of Black Friday. Companies that have operated at a loss will sell so much, th- so many things after the, the Thanksgiving holiday that they'll be profitable for the entire year, and that'll be made during that month. Um, I think about. I, I remember when I first couple years carried I got married, and before that, I really don't worry about Christmas shopping. But now I better Christmas shop, um, and you watch, folks break the doors down to the Walmart in Dallas or, or, or trample somebody in a parking lot or, or pull somebody by their hair off of a giant TV somewhere and you go. And for, born for us is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It is a, a holiday of greed, materialism, excess. Um, these things are actually the opposite of a Savior born in humble conditions. Uh, they no way tie into that, uh, born in such meager conditions. And then the last thing is this, the world has wildly secularized this celebration, which you can say it's for the birth of Jesus. You can say it's a religious holiday, but the world's not going to let you keep it there. And so they're going to try to pour Santa Claus into it and pour this into it. Um, I can remember, and I always say this, I'm not that old, but I'm getting older. I can remember Hawkins Elementary School when we did the Christmas play and it was a Christian song and a Christian song, and God rest you, merry gentlemen, and now you go, and they cannot have a, Chris, a Christian song at the Christmas play. So it is becoming secularized. It is being robbed out from under us, and happy holidays, that whole deal, it pushes out really any, any consideration of the true meaning of the holiday. So those things are true. Maybe we shouldn't celebrate it. Maybe we ought to say, hey, they... That doesn't reflect the Christ that we worship. Now let me give you the flip side. However, on these days, those days, we have the opportunity to focus on the events of Jesus' birth and meaning, which means this. The world may not recognize it, but I can tell my kids about it. I can tell my neighbors about it. Our church could use it for that reason. And so we could actually use those days to talk about the virgin birth, the miraculous Uh, fulfillment of all these prophecies. And so we could do that. Here's another one. Joy, gladness, and good cheer belong to those who love our Savior. That has been so robbed of us that joy, gladness, and good cheer belongs to um, the world and not to Christians. Uh, Joy, it's good news of great joy. We are to be glad and cheerful and joy-filled. And so think about that. Meals, gatherings, even giving of gifts can be an expression of our joy and our happiness and our gladness for our Savior Jesus Christ. Again, it's just a matter of perspective. So hey, the world doesn't get to do all that and we have to go home and and be sad and eat crackers on Christmas Day. Uh, We can have a feast and we can eat a turkey and I can give you a gift and we can say we do this celebrating what we have in Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing. If we're thoughtful and deliberate, we can use those days of celebration to show and to tell the world born for them as the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now what that means is we can't look like the world in our celebration, but we can point the world to the Savior of our celebration. So if you're thoughtful, um, you can use those days of celebration as a witness to Jesus Christ. Some folks will say, you know what, I'm not gonna do that. And if you've prayed about it and that's your conclusion, Uh, God bless you in that. Some other folks say, you know what? Um, I think it's a good opportunity to be a witness. I think it's a great celebration. If that's your decision, then God bless you in that. For sure, we should use it to point to our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to end right there tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful uh, for your word. We're thankful for this account that shows us there was an actual birth, there was an actual day and an actual point in history uh, that it was ordinary until it was not ordinary. And I'm thankful that on that day born for us was our Savior who was promised, who is God himself, and who is the remedy for our sin. I pray as we consider this, Lord, that our love for you grows. And our understanding of you propels us to share that good news with others. I pray in August, as we think about a celebration in December, I pray that we're deliberate in how to hold you up and make you known and worship you uh, in the process. We're thankful for your word. Again, I pray for all those studying it tonight that it would bear great fruit. And I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Glad you were here.